Hi guys, and welcome to the Corehead Farm Horses and Ponies podcast with your host, Louise Rowe. Okay guys, so I'll just get started. Um, I wanted to put a podcast together uh, for the Corehead Farm Horses and Ponies uh, just on the back of getting asked quite a lot of questions Um some training questions, some general questions, uh, questions about the horses, etc. Um, and I just thought, really, with this latest sort of COVID situation, it might be a good idea to keep us connected and um, be a bit of fun for people that are stuck in at home. So, a little bit about how we got started. Um, we're originally from Chesterfield. Um, me and my husband um, decided to move up to Scotland a few years ago, where it's been the sort of dream on the cards for quite a while, before we even had children. But we decided when the children were small that, uh, you know, if we don't do it now, we're just never going to do it. <laughs> so we uh, looked into houses, buying houses up here. Um, we came up on a few visits, really, to, to look around. And we eventually stumbled on Corehead Farm. It seemed absolute paradise. I mean, we would not even seen the house. We were just driving down the track to it. And we could see the house in the distance. And we just didn't even care what the house looked like inside, to be fair. It was just like, this is the home for us. We are, we have got to live here. It's just amazing. Um, just a stunning view as you drive in. So we um we moved up to Scotland with our two small children. Um Jax was very young at the time, about fifteen around fifteen months coming up to that. Uh Georgia still wasn't was he a bit older than that? Because Georgia still wasn't walking at the time. So he was more around two. Yes, that's right. So he was about two. Um and Georgia was about just to, just gone over one so uh yeah we had i had an awful lot on my plate with andrew he actually works on the um, oil rigs offshore so he's way he works away um can be sort of two weeks at a time then he comes home for two weeks sometimes it's three weeks depending on what contract he's on so life up here was very very um demanding for me all of a sudden uh, we've moved away from our from my parents and uh, also at the time his parents were still living in Chesterfield as well so I was basically up here alone with two children sometimes three weeks at a time um, which was pretty daunting any mums or dads that stay at home sort of with their kids will sort of relate to this I was going a little insane uh, but obviously we'd lived in such a beautiful place. Um, I didn't regret actually moving up here. It was the best thing we've done for for us, us as a family. So um, obviously the intention was always to have horses up here. Um, I've always had horses in, in my my life really. Um, apart from a small break just after Georgia was born because um, I lost my old 
my oldest horse I'd actually had since I was about 13, uh, Dash. And a lot of my friends will remember Dash, a cheeky chap, full of character. Um, or 14 too. I'm not even sure if he was actually 14 too. He might have been a tad smaller than that. 14 too, coloured cob, standard Bob the Cob type. <laughs> um, and I, I, I lost him just before we, we came up here, so I'd had a small... Uh, window of not having a horse um, so I was very excited when we moved here and I said to Andrew I'm not going to get horses um, I'm not going to get horses yet I'm going to spend some time just with the kids and just getting used to the place and settling in maybe a few years down the line you know anyway probably about Four, three or four months later, maybe not even that, um, I decided to buy two Shetlands for the kids. <laughs> um, and to be honest, they have been the best purchase I have ever made, possibly. They are uh, adorable and the kids absolutely, uh, they dote on them. I mean, they're not fanatical horse riders. They don't ride every day. Um but they do, they have a very strong relationship with the Shetlands. Um, they're very bonded to them. And the Shetlands absolutely love them. They they just absolutely um, adore them. Um, I often joke, you know, I would not trust, you know, anyone to babysit my kids apart from the Shetlands. Because <laughs> they, they pretty much are so trustworthy. Um, so that happened and then shortly after I thought well if the kids have got horses you know it can't hurt to look for another one that I can ride and the gen the actual intention was to buy a horse that I could teach Andrew to ride on as well so it was like getting two for one sort of thing and it, and it sort of kept him interested and um, you know sort of put the leverage in in my my way a little bit more if it was for him as well <laughs> um so we bought rudy now rudy is probably the very beginning of this of my path uh, a horse, horsemanship path and i don't get me wrong like now we are inseparable we have an amazing bond um he is absolutely adorable. He is lovely with the kids. He's really settled now. He still has his little moments, but it's things that we can we can live with. But to say he was bought for a novice rider, um, I mean, we bought off a, a well-known dealer. I won't mention any names, um, but uh, he was advertised for a novice rider and I went up to ride him and he was well behaved he was very good uh, but we, we rode him in a school with horses sort of stabled right across so they he could actually see the other horses in the um, the arena um, I don't know why I didn't hack him out uh, I just can't remember why because we 
think I was just really in a rush to get another horse, to be honest. And I really liked him, and Andrew loved him. Um, so we had him delivered. He arrived, uh, I think it was like a week later. Um, and when they got him off the the truck, he was like, oh my goodness, I mean, that, he, <laughs> is this the same horse? <laughs> he was like a giraffe, his head was like stuck right in the air, he was super anxious, I mean, all horses are a little bit anxious when they come to a new place and it's, you know, it's all new and you sort of accept that, so it's fine, that's fine, you know, we'll just, we'll just put him in the stable and let him settle. I don't think we got a wink of sleep that night for him shouting and whinnying his head off. Um, I think the Shetlands were in the backfield, so he knew the Shetlands were there, but that didn't really um, give him much sort of comfort. I think this is a... Looking back now, I realise we sort of put the puzzle together of what might have happened with Rudy, and he... He came over from Ireland um, and I pretty much suspect that he's one of these that he's been hunted um, and I don't know if any people know, like, in Ireland, you know, they're pretty hardcore with their hunting, you know. <laughs> it's just, you know, he, he just knew forward and run really fast and, you know, I don't really know much else about pressure. If I come against a bush or something, I'm going to jump it. It's just brilliant for hunting, really. Um, but other than that, he didn't really seem to know anything else. Um, he had no awareness. If you went to take him out of the stable on a head collar, he was like, he did not know I existed. He was like, his head was up in the air. Um, if you tried to sort of like pull his head around to, to sort of say, hey, hey, I'm here he would just automatically sort of rear and fight the pressure and he'd be sort of galloping off down the field. Uh, if you dare hang on, you'd be sort of dragging along after him. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but he would then get to the end of wherever he could run to, look extremely lost and frightened, and then come sort of trying back, as if to say okay guys, I'm really sorry about this, I don't know what I'm doing, have you got any ideas what I need to do to help, you know, to make myself feel better? So I was like on the phone to the dealer and sort of saying, look, you know, this is not really the horse we went to see. Um, <laughs> not sure if he was sort of under the influence of anything, it's quite possible. But having two young children about, it wasn't ideal um, for him to be charging about like that all over the yard, um, it was um. So I I asked then you know what what can we do? So she advised that uh, you know oh he's he's just new he'll settle in you know he's fine, um he's, he's never been anywhere with you know not many horses he's probably just a bit unsettled so. We decided to give him a bit of time to settle in and um, he had, a, so I agreed to give him another week uh, and in the, this week he, he just didn't settle at all really. He was it, Well he seemed to like settle one minute and then the next minute he'd be trying to lead him in or out and he'd, he'd be off again and galloping about or 
the, his favourite was pulling back when he was tied up. Um, obviously not his fault. Looking back now, with the knowledge that I have, I understand that he probably never was tied up. Um, so he'd just never known that pressure of, you know, oh, when when I walk away and the pressure on the head collar, I should yield to that. He just did not understand that. And he would tear tirings off the wall, he'd snap head collars, snap lead ropes, and he'd just be galloping, you know, off down the field again. And you'd be like, oh my God, this is horrendous. Um, so a week later, I was still sort of, you know, he must. We must try and get something else that's that'll settle a bit easier here. Um, and the lady didn't really want to know, <laughs> basically. So first dodgy dealer sort of experience up in Scotland. Um, so in the end, she did agree to have him back and try to sort of uh, sell him on for us or something like that but um over the next couple of days i i just i just spent a little bit of time with him um i think it must have been like a couple of days when andrew was here so i had time to just sort of spend with him and i just thought you know what i just can't send him back there to be passed around and just fall into the wrong hands time and time again. He's obviously got some issues, you know, and at the time I didn't know what to do with him. Um, The only thing I'd ever known, and I'm sure people can relate to this, is, oh, you must make sure he knows your boss. That, I mean, (laughs) yeah, uh, there's an element of that, that he wasn't respecting me. But it's much deeper than that as the journey sort of led on to and fail so after some thinking we decided to keep him and I said to Andrew right well if I'm gonna work with him I need somewhere to work work him you know because we had nothing we didn't have a school we just had a huge feel which is obviously not really appropriate for 17 ounce horse that spent more of his time on his back legs than anything else so Andrew built the round pen which is uh we still have today and it's uh amazing for training horses in he also built it a little bit bigger so we can actually ride and start start youngsters in now so that's um all sort of fell into the plan which was brilliant um so i was busy sort of googling trainers what to do with a horse that's anxious what to do with a horse that rears all the time horses just got no respect for me blah de blah and i think the first trainer that came came up was uh mr clinton anderson <laughs> and um i'm still a big fan i'm still a big ca fan but um i've sort of branched out further into um the connection path really um from discovering other trainers but uh i do need to use a lot of his methods um he's a great guy and his methods are very effective and they worked really well with rudy um the first time i got him in a round pen he actually sort of launched himself towards me with his ears back and 
I don't really know how I didn't just run or just like crap myself but I didn't I threw my hands up and I think I had the lead rope or something in my hand so I just threw it at him um and he veered off the other way uh and galloped off to the other side of the pen um I mean we're talking a big horse here he's he's nearly 17 hands and he is massive um and he did this two maybe three times yeah about I think it was three times he did it but each time was like a little more disheartened and because I, the first my first reaction had worked, I kept doing it. So I didn't back away from him. I just threw everything at him and shouted at him, I think. Um, and the third time, he, he sort of went away and skulked away and stood at the other end of the round pen, sort of just looking out. But I do I noticed he sort of... His ear was, like, flicking back towards me. So his, he was, like, aware of me all of a sudden... And I think that's the first time that horse was ever aware of me. He was like, hang on a minute, you know, she's not, she's not getting out my way. <laughs> um, so that's where it started. Uh, and then from there, I just started to sort of push him out around the round pen, which to be fair, if I had one like this again, this is probably the same thing I would do. Um, not aggressively by any means, but just to get them moving and thinking um it's other horses I'd, I wouldn't start this way but um that's how it all started and then he did a lot of sort of um head down and licking and chewing as he was going around he's starting to relax and then an amazing thing happened which is not the first time I've had this happen I've done it with a previous horse that I had and I just thought it was her that did it but you know, as the more you find out about this sort of thing, the more you realise it that this sort of training does nine times out of ten result in this behaviour. But he he hooked on, so instead of running towards me with teeth bared and trying to pommel me into the ground, uh he he came in with his head low, sort of um can't remember if he was licking or chewing at the time and it might have been. But uh, he, he came with his head low, came up to me, and I stroked him. And that was, like, the beginning of our partnership together and our journey together. And from there, I, I practised uh, a lot of sort of Clinton and Anderson techniques on him. Just started him, really, the old Western way and... Um, using I think they were all free videos on YouTube um just just restarted him from the very basics and uh to this day he's like a, you know he's a different horse now I can get on him I can get on the fence ask him to move his bum over he'll he'll yield up to the fence towards me so I can get on him bareback and he really sort of looks after me now um just remarkable and then I just sort of have this had this thought this epiphany and if that's the right word <laughs> I just thought well if I can do that with a 17 hands Irish sports horse massive thing that was so aggressive you know I could do it again with 
another horse, you know, and maybe, maybe this is what, this is, I've been sent this horse for a reason, um, I've always wanted to work with horses, I just never really knew what I wanted to do, um, I was more into sort of show jumping when I was younger, um, and I sort of had a horse that we went BSJ and everything, and we did all that, and we did a bit of the cross country and stuff, and all the adrenaline junkie stuff, I've uh, trained, uh, well not trained, but ridden racehorses, exercise racehorses, stuff like that, and now I just thought, you know, I've got this tool, and I really just want to help these horses, they're so misunderstood, and even then, I didn't know what I know now, but even then I knew it wasn't his fault, you know, this this horse was not being naughty, he was just doing what he, you know, had been conditioned to do. So that's where it all sort of started and not long after I bought my first sort of project horse, um, Kriya, and she she was lovely. I mean, I still, to this day, get inquiries about Korea, um, and this, you know, I sold her years ago, uh, but she, she's beautiful, piebald mare, she's actually skewbald, but she's that really dark brown that's just beautiful, um, about 14 one, I think she was, um, and she, she was very, now I would call it shut down, but then I didn't really know that that's what it was. But there was this real lack of connection and a sort of, oh my God, what do you want to do with me now? Just leave me alone sort of vibe from her at first. And um, when I started to do the groundwork with her, you know, I just noticed quite quickly, the more she learned and she picked up, the more she just sort of opened up and her personality started to come out and it was like I, I I can do that I'm really good at that you know show me something else teach me something else it's like they suddenly sort of come out of their shell and just want to learn and now I know from like reading the science books and uh, like evidence-based horsemanship that um that you know this is a scientifically proved thing that they you're actually growing their brain and um the sort of pathways for signals of information to go from one neuron to another and it, every time they learn a new thing you're making your horse more intelligent and i di- i didn't know that then i was still using sort of ca methods um and they were serving me really well uh, but yeah, and you know, she, she came on loads in the school. She'd been started by, um, a young, young boy, uh, well, te- I don't know if it's teenagers, might, might, it might be a teenager or young twenties. Um, it was actually quite a nice lad. They were, they were, what was I wouldn't say they were the sort of best riders in the world, but, uh, they, um, you know, they'd given her sort of a basic start in, in ridden, in, in a ridden education. 
And I just sort of picked up from there and, and brought her on. The thing that she did um, that I think, you know, sort of was an issue, and I knew, I had this backed up by my farrier as well because he, they had actually seen this horse in action before and knew what it did. And what she used to do, not maliciously, but she would shy and just tuck her bum and sort of gallop, you know, she'd just bolt. And not forever, but quick enough to sort of, you know, dislodge a rider. Um, And this came apparent when I started riding her out. She did it a couple of times. Um, but luckily, you know, I was, I was sort of ready for it because I, I'd been told she did it. So... I knew it might crop up, even though we'd done the sort of we'd done the basics in the round pen and everything. Um, but what I had taught her in the round pen uh, that really helped in this situation was the emergency stop. So the one rain stop, we'd done that quite a few times when I felt she got anxious, and I just brought her to a stop with the one rain, and it just brings them into a tight circle. The nose comes around to your boot, and um, you know. And as soon as they relax, you let them out again. So she already sort of had that pattern in her mind. Um, and the first time she did it, that's what we did. So not only was it sort of stopping her, but it was making her sort of turn and face the thing that she was frightened of or she shied at. And to this day, I still use this tactic with horses. And it's now, it's sort of different trainers call it different things. It's like shying... Uh, spook in place or um, uh, face up uh, stuff like that and it just it really basically all it is is just making them sort of think differently so instead of shying and running away yes you can shy, yes you can move your body but just face what you are frightened of and let's have a look at it so that's basically you know what we did when she did that and thankfully I didn't fall off, so <laughs> that was good. Um, always good when you don't fall off. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so that was my first little project and that went really well. Um, and from there we've just, you know, we've, I've always looked for the horses that have had the problems that I can try and help and fix and with the objective to... Um, find them an amazing home forever home obviously if if i can uh, i always offer to have the horses back if it doesn't work out because that for me it's not about the money it's more about you know it's more about finding these horses their forever partners and you know if that does is not going to work out i can always have them back and find them another partner it's not a problem um so that's basically our ethos here at Corehead Farm. I hope that's not been too boring for like uh, our first podcast. Um, obviously, what I'd like is um, if you just fire away questions at me. It could be anything, you know. Like we we have considered all sorts here, sort of like glamping with your horses, uh, relaxation days, because a lot of you might or some of you might know now that I've sort of gone down the um, uh, sort of relaxation, meditation path with horses and it it's amazing, absolutely amazing the results that you get with this and this works on 
anxious horses, it works on shut down horses, it works on horses that have got behavioural issues, um, because I, I am a firm believer in, you know, most bad behaviour or what we perceive to be bad behaviour is just a learned process to get an end result or release for the horse. So they've just learned to do this to get rid of the pressure. They're not being malicious, they don't have a plan, they don't have an agenda, they pretty much don't have the frontal cortex, uh, the frontal lobe of their brain to be able to actually, you know, manipulate a situation like that. They they just don't they just don't have it and um in many ways they you know their brain is very similar to us, especially on the um sort of emotions, connection, um bonding, how they learn their anxiety is is very similar to us. Um but they don't get humour like we will make humour out of the situations they do and we try and humanise them, but they they just don't, they really don't get humour. They don't do things for a laugh. They don't look at you and think, today I'm going to make an arse of you. They just, they don't. It's it's just not in their thought process. So, um, yeah, I mean, just fire away your questions, guys, and we will work through them and I'll, I can put um, some videos together to try and answer your questions um or i mean obviously i'll answer anyone's questions that message me anyway um but we'll pick one a week and we'll make a topic of it and uh, i'll give you a mention on the podcast okay thanks for listening guys